All right, welcome everyone. Okay, so this year is going to be on, I think it's titled, Longing and Yearning Expressed in the Writings of Rav Kook and Rabbi Nachman. So I was saying a little bit before that while Rabbi Nachman and Rav Kook were separated by 200 years, Rabbi Nachman lives after, he's the great grandson of Yisrael Baal Shem Tov, the leader of the Hasidic movement. The Baal Shem Tov was born in 1698. He dies in around 1760. Um, Rabbi Nachman comes around the late 18th century in the late 1700s and he really you know, innovates in terms of his Hasidic dynasty, focusing on personal prayer and focusing on taking life's experiences and talking about a totality of experiences. And Rav Kook comes along a little a bit later. Rav Kook is born in the late 1800s. Rav Kook lives from like 1865 until 1935. Um, and But these two tzaddikim, they both are very expressive in their writings and they're not afraid to shy away from the human condition and the human emotion that we all go through on our service of God. So Rabbi Nachman, at the end of his life, basically stopped teaching normal Torah teachings and instead he pivoted to teaching stories. And some of us may have heard of Rebbe Nachman's stories. There's a collection over there. Rebbe Arya Kaplan famously tried to write a commentary on, on Rebbe Nachman's stories. Rebbe Nachman says about his stories, we have it in size. He says, Meaning the rest of the world says that we tell stories to put people to sleep. We put stories when people want to go to bed. Bedtime stories. But I say, but I say that on account of my stories, I awake people from their sleep. It's able to actually get the masses' attention and awaken them from their slumber. Rabbi Nachman says that Mishu Sheshomea, anyone who hears a little bit of my story will immediately have a her tshuva. They'll have an immediate thought of returning to God, to their higher self. So Rabbi Nachman at the end of his life starts telling stories. And these stories are incredibly layered with meaning and depth and they're confusing and it's based on Kabbalah and they're very difficult. So this is one excerpt that we'll read. We'll see how Rabbi Nachman is expressing the existential longing for the soul to be reunited with God. And then we'll see how Rav Kook also talks on a similar theme and how this is fundamental to any relationship that we have, especially with God, with another person, about yearning to be one, yearning to be completely included within one another, whether it's us being yearning to be completely included within God, within our partner, within our friends, whatever it is, and realizing and having to reconcile the fact that sometimes they're distanced despite you wanting to be closeness. So we'll read this story. This is from Rabbi Nachman's story, Yud Gimel, which is called The Seven Beggars. And Rabbi Nachman over here, it's a long story and it's complicated, but this is kind of a story within a story. Rabbi Nachman said about the 13, the story of the seven beggars, that this is the story that really intrigued Rabbi Nachman the most. And I have it here, whatever, it's not important. But anyway, so this is called The Mountain and the Spring, The Wellspring and the Heart. This is a very famous story, we'll read it. So Rabbi Nachman in English says, there's a mountain and on that mountain stands a stone and from a stone emerges a spring. Now everything has a heart. And the entire world also has a heart. And the heart of the world is a complete structure with face, hands, feet, etc. But the nail on the foot of the world's heart is hardier than the heart of anything else. It's a little confusing, I know, we'll explain it. And the mountain with the stone and the spring stands at one end of the world, while this heart of the world stands at the other end of the world. So Rabbi Nachman says that there's this stone that emerges from the stone is on a mountain. The stone is an allusion to the Evan Shtia which is the primary stone in the Kodesh HaKadoshim where the ark rests upon. And on this stone is on a hill on top, and there's a fountain that comes, out of the, uh, that comes out of the stone. There's a spring. Opposite this valley, there's a heart. And this heart is the heart of the world, as Rabbi Nachman says, and we'll explain what this means. And he says, at the other hand, stands at another end of the world, and the heart stands facing the spring. So the heart is facing the spring. And the heart constantly is desiring and hoping continuously. 
exceedingly that it should come to the spring. And the longing and desire of the heart to come to the spring is just extraordinary. It screams nonstop the heart to come to the source. And the source longs for the heart too. So right now you have the spring on one end of the world, the heart on the other end of the world, and they're just yearning, coveting more than anything to join together. But they can't. There's a valley in between them. Now the heart is two things that make it weep. One, because the sun pursues it exceedingly and scorches it. So the heart's in pain because the sun is constantly shining on it. And also the second is that the heart is hurting because of the yearning and desire that the heart constantly yearns and wishes. It keeps pouring out its soul for the source to recollect with the spring and screaming and so forth so as to come to the source. For the heart is always standing facing the source and screams, Gewald, please, and keeps on yearning most exceedingly for the source as mentioned. However, when the heart needs to rest this bit so as to draw a little bit of breath, then comes a big bird and spreads its wings above it. I know this is confusing. Nachman, it's trippy. It's out there. What's going on? It's all alluding to something. We're going to unpack it. We'll explain. But... We'll see how sometimes speaking through stories is important in terms of expressing a deep truth. And he says that when, this, when the heart wants to rest and it constantly just wants a break, this bird comes and, it, and it, can, it casts a canopy over it and it shields it from the sun, which is one of its two issues. And the heart gets a little bit of rest. But even while it's resting, it's also looking and facing the spring and it still longs to come with the spring. But since it longs so much for the source, why doesn't it go to the source, Rabbi Nachman says. And it says, only as soon as the heart wants to go to the mountain upon which the source is, then it no longer sees the peak. It can no longer look at the spring. So right now the heart is on a mountain. And in order for it to go across the valley to go to the source, it has to go down the mountain. So when it goes down the mountain, it can no longer see the spring. And the heart only gets its vitality from the spring. The heart can only exist on account of it seeing the spring and longing to be from the spring. And, and I'm sure some of you can intuit what the muscle is. And it says, only as soon as the heart wants to go close to the mountain upon which it sources, it no longer sees the peak. It can't look at the spring. And as soon as it would not look at the spring, it would expire. For the heart's entire vitality is only from the source, from the spring. So when it stands facing the mountain, and then it sees the mountain peak where the spring is coming out of. But immediately, as soon as it wants to go to the mountain and it goes down from the peak that it's on, it goes down and it's no longer able to see the top of the, to see the, top of the mountain where the spring is. And upon going near to the peak is no longer visible. Last paragraph. Then it can no longer look at the source. And heaven forbid, if it didn't look at the source, it would expire. And this heart, heaven forbid, would expire. The whole world would be destroyed. For the heart is the very vitality of everything. And how can the world endure without the heart? Therefore, the heart can't go to the spring. It only stands facing the spring, longing and screaming without seas to be able to come to the spring. So Rabbi Nachman paints this picture and this image, and he doesn't explain it. And we're going to explain it on account of a teaching from Lekutei Maran, and with the help of Rav Kluger, Shlita, who Rav Avram C. Kluger is a big Rebbe in Brasov right now. But on the surface, there's a lot of things going on right now, but the picture that Rabbi Nachman paints is that on one side of the mountain, there's a mountain with a stone and a spring. On the other side of the valley, there's a heart. And the heart represents the heart of the world. And this heart needs to constantly look at the spring. If it's not connected to its source, if it's not connected to the spring, the entire world dissipates. The entire world is nullified in existence. But the heart so badly wants to come to the spring. It wants to be engulfed in the spring. It wants to bridge the gap that distances itself from the spring. So in order to understand this, now we're going to unpack some of the imagery and, and we'll explain what it means. Any ideas, by the way, what this means? Anyone want to guess? You don't have to. It's fine if you don't. Okay, see what Rabbi Nachman says. Yeah, and this is one of the easier stories to understand. So if we turn and we look at Lekutei Maran from Memtet Yud Aleph, Rabbi Nachman's going to explain a little bit what's going on here, and I'll explain a little bit. So the way that this story is traditionally understood 
is the spring represents Hashem. The stone on the mountain represents the Evan Shtia. The Gemara tells us that the world was created from the primary rock of creation, the rock onto which the ark rests in the Kadosh HaGadashim. We're told in the Holy of Holies, there is a stone, the foundation stone of the world, and the ark, the Aram, sits atop the Evan Shtia. And this spring represents God. And the reason the spring represents God, according to Rabbi Nachman, is that water is constantly moving. It's never static. It's dynamic. It's infinite. It represents not being able to quantify infinitude. It's always moving. It's always changing. That's why in Sukkot, after the Yamim Noram, we dump water on the Mizbeach. Because we're saying water is something that's constantly changing and growing. And after this entire process, we too want to tap into something that can change and grow. Anytime we purify ourselves, we do it in water. Because water represents something that's dynamic. We're able to continue. We're able to continue to flow and to continue to grow. And we're ever, we're ever coming. So the, the spring represents Hashem. And the heart, on the other hand, represents the Jewish people, the world, finitude. You have infinity on one side, and you have finitude on the other side. And Rabbi Nachman is going to explain exactly what he means. And if we understand this, then we understand that on one side, there is Hashem. In his infinity, in his all-encompassingness, in his greatness, but he's distant. And then there's us. We're finite beings. But we, rep- we understand that the source of our existence is completely contingent on God. As Rabbi Nachman is going to teach us here, Hasidut teaches us that we, in our essence, we don't have souls, we are souls. We, we, we are souls that have bodies. But fundamentally, we are souls. Me and you are souls. And our souls are given a character to play. And we inherit a body. And we come into this body. And we take care of the body. But the body fundamentally isn't who I am. I am my consciousness. I am my soul. I am connected to God at all times. An aspect of infinity. But that means there's an aspect of infinity which is cloaked infinitude. And this aspect of infinity and finitude represents the heart. And the heart knows that its true self, the essence of who it is, is the spring. It's connected to the spring. In its essence, the heart realizes I'm also infinite. I'm also from that other side, from that which is beyond this world. But the heart also realizes that it is bound by time and space, and it's in this world, so it can't quite get there because it's bound to the confines of this world. But nonetheless, it yearns. It yearns to be freed from the boundaries of this world, because it feels that this world is finite and fundamentally who we are, we're infinite. And sometimes we feel like the world isn't allowing us to express the depths of our infinity. We realize that we're not shy to this world. The Jewish people are teva. We're beyond this world. And we sometimes understand that our true essence is the spring that we long for. But we realize that we can't quite come in contact with it because if we do, there would be no distance and there would be no world. I'll explain. For example, let's say you have a reading light on in your room and you also have the big light on. Does the reading light shine any light? No, you can't really see the light of the reading light because it gets all consumed and engulfed in the light of the big light. But the second you turn off the big light, all of a sudden, then the reading light has a light of its own, has its own existence because it's not engulfed by the light of the big light. So too with us in Hashem. It's, Kabbalah refers to this as tzimtzum, the idea that God conceals himself, his, his, ever, his ever all-encompassing presence for the existence of us. So if God didn't conceal himself, didn't create distance, of course, good lie to hope, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be a potentiality for me and you to exist, for me and you to feel like we have a separate sense of self-worth. Kabbalah explains that we're really, in our essence, the, the Alter Rebbe brings us like rays of God's light. We're like rays of the sun. If God was the sun, we'd be rays of his light. So a ray in the sun isn't so bright because it gets overshadowed by the sun. 
It's only if we were to say that ray would put on sunglasses, then it would say, okay, I can't see the sun. Now my light is shining. I feel like I have my own existence. So this is kind of what Rabbi Nachman is alluding to. The second we get engulfed within God, there's no us. And that's why it can't go and completely engulf itself with the heart because there needs to be this world. There needs to be distance and separation. But it's the longing to break that distance that we're left with because we know essentially we're actually part of the spring. The heart is part of the spring. Infinity is essentially who we are. And we'll see how Rabbi Nachman talks about this. Amen. So Rabbi Nachman in Lakut de Maran is magnum opus. He says in Torah Memtet in Yod Aleph over there, he says, He says, essentially who we are, our souls. We're an aspect of Hashem on high. We're infinite, we're infinite beings. The main manifestation of our divinity is in the heart. That point of divinity within the heart, that is an aspect of infinity. Ein sof, limitlessness. Rabbi Nachman's saying that essentially who we are is part of the infinite world. But infinity is trapped with infinitude. And he says, And he says that sometimes we get so fired up to be re-included within infinity. Because we know that essentially we're part of infinity. And I think there are times practically when you're just, you're just so on fire religiously or you get all encompassed or you hear it listening to Jewish music. There's something that clicks inside of you. You're just like, I am not a part of this world. I am not connected to physical reality. Meaning, I, and it's a very deep idea. It's saying that like, I know that like, it's the feeling of like, I want to just like expand and I want to be out of my body and I want to just be that which is so much bigger than I am. A lot of times we feel this when we're at concerts. We feel like we want to be connected to everyone around us because it's saying fundamentally, I'm not limited. I'm not finite. I'm infinite. And infinite means that I shouldn't be bound by limitations. And Rabbi Nachman is saying, sometimes we feel that because essentially we're infinite. The neshama is infinite. This feeling of infinity, there's no end to its desire. Like Rabbi Nachman is saying, the heart constantly yearns for the spring. According to the amount of desire that the heart has for the spring, that we have for infinity. If we are living our lives constantly, where we're just so we just want to escape ourselves. We won't be able to do anything in this world. We won't be able to do any good deeds. Because if we're so fired up and we're so focused on just, and just being included within infinity, we're not going to be able to take the most and, and make the most of our finite world as finite beings. And Rabbi Nachman is saying that sometimes we get just, we just get so fired up. I think like if you get so excited about something, you can't like sit down and study. That's a practical example. That's a moment of infinity. That's a moment of tapping into something that's so beyond you. If you're looking forward to something, you can't focus. Because on the one hand, there's something that's so expansive and so beyond you. And that's real and that's true. But Nachman's saying we have to, that's what it means to be in this world. We have to navigate yearning to be connected to the spring, yearning constantly, realizing that's the source of our life, but also realizing that there's distance. And we need that distance for us to exist and for us to be able to exist in this world. So Rabbi Nachman's explaining that. And I think... It's also in English on the bottom, if anyone's interested, wants to see it a little bit more. And he says, And he's talking, according to Kabbalah, he says in the beginning, there was just God's light, according to Kabbalah. There was just light. There was no room for creation. It was just infinity. So Rabbi Nachman says, just like the first act in creation, according to Kabbalah, is God creating a space in his endless light and he's able to conceal and contract his endless light 
and to create a space for finitude, so too we have to do that sometimes. We have to navigate this tension between yearning to go that which is beyond us, to connect to that which is infinite, and then also be able to rein it in and say, I need to be able to focus. Yeah. yeah. Also, if you are so like engulfed by the yearning to like something greater, then you're gonna miss the importance of like focusing on the things in the physical things. For sure, life. for sure. And he says it, that, exactly your point. And he says, so we have to mimic God's act of creation, which is, which is, which is constraining ourselves of, of creating a space that's not endless light to, for a creation of other. I know I'm not explaining this so well, but afterwards it's hard. Oh I can't God. explain like the whole, in terms of, I, this is a whole Shiran Simpson and I'll send Shiran from Rev Aaron, my Red Rev Aaron, if anyone wants to reach out to me, but these are big sugyas in Kabbalah. I'm just, I'm really just, just touching the tips of it, but it's, it's a whole system in place. And, and he says, Rabbi Nachman says, He says, Hashem wants us. He wants us in this world. There's a reason that we're created finite. There's a reason we're infinite beings in a finite world. The Zohar says that mitzvah comes from the Lashon of Tzav, which means to bind. Anytime we do a commandment, we do a mitzvah, we're binding infinity to finitude. Or we could say that we're, we're binding infinity to infinity. We're realizing that this world, the infinite, is actually present in this world. Um, just on a complete side note, the Alter Rebbe says in this week's parsha on Lechacha, he says that Avram was commanded to go to Lechacha me'artzacha melatecha l'artzacha and, and the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe of Chabad says that Avraham can be broken down Avram. He's not Avraham yet, he's Avram. Avram means father and Ram means exalted. So in Kabbalah, father relates to the highest sphera, which is Chachma. This is going to be a little confusing, but it's okay. The highest sphere, which the, the highest divine manifestation in the tzvirot, the ten emanations of God, the ten garments that God is cloaked and manifest in this world through. And that's, that's considered chachma. Chachma and Kabbalah represents that which is most ephemeral. It's an idea before it's been actually actualized. For example, let's say I, have, I want to build an orphanage. That's a chachma idea. It's very impotential. It's, it's very lofty. It's very up here. It hasn't been brought down into the physical world yet. Then you say, okay, you need a budget, etc. That's called bina. That's called analytic thinking versus visionary thinking is chachma. In Kabbalah, that's referred to as a drop of seed. Av is the father. That's why it's Av. A drop of seed contains the potentiality for the entire child, but it's only in an abstraction. It's very ephemeral. It's very lofty. So the Alter Rebbe explains that Avram means that Avraham, Hashem is commanding Avram, Av, which is the most ephemeral part of this world, and Ram, which is exalted, that which is beyond this world. So the loftiest of loftiest, which is Keter, he's saying that which is above Ra, above Av, which is father, which is Chachma, he's saying you have to go me Artzacha. You have to take that and go to the land, go to the earth, bring it down into physicality, reveal infinity in this world. Artzacha in the, in the Svirot represents Malchut, and we can understand why. The, the land represents that which is most physical, that which is most finite, as opposed to that which is most ephemeral. So this idea, it's saying that, yeah, we're in, we're, we're finite beings, and we're meant to be in a finite world, but we're meant to reveal infinity. But it's this struggle that as a result of it, this constant back and forth, this yearning that we're left with. And Rabbi Nachman, I think, is speaking to this point. He's speaking to this yearning. And now we can go back into this and try to decode what's going on. So Repluger in the back... He says that, okay, what's going on here? We said that we know who the heart and the spring are now. And we said that the sun is shining on the heart. And that's one of the struggles that the heart has. So if you look at the beginning, kind of like the first bolded part that we have, and Rev Kluger, just it's one paragraph, it's short. He says, and it seems to me, the sun represents nature. It represents finitude, physicality. The sun 
is the ultimate sign of the natural world order. According to nature, the sun rises, the sun sets. It shows that in this world we're bound to finitude. And represents all of nature. So now to plug it back into the story, when Rabbi Nachman says one thing that's hurting the heart, that's hurting me and you, that's hurting infinite beings trapped in finitude, is this idea that we're bound, that we can't express our infinity. That on the one hand, we have no connection to this world, and on the other hand, we fully do. And it's the struggle of the son of nature of having to be bound to the to, to physical world. That's what really hurts us. And that's what constantly scorches the sun. And the second thing that hurts the sun is this yearning. Because even if we can try to... Alle- yeah, it's, it's, it's the yearning of the heart. Even if we try to alleviate the sun, and we'll see how is the sun alleviated in the story, if anyone remembers. The bird. The bird. So what's the bird? So the bird, there's two understandings. I think that the bird represents that which is... Above, it's lofty, it's flying, it has the ability to go above and beyond. It represents that which is above this world. And Hashem himself is alluded to as a confein nisharm. God says that I carry the Jewish people on the back of an eagle. So God is shielding us and he's saying, how do you avoid being able to be burned by finitude? You tap into my Torah, you tap into infinity. And that's how you're able to do it. And Rav Kluger has an amazing idea here. And he says, to understand this, I brought a Gemara. But if you look at the back, he's referencing the Gemara and Shabbos that we brought. It's in English. And he says that, so we're discussing Hilchos Tefillin. It's quick, just all the, way, all the way at the back. And he says that, Gemara says, we learn, we learn the halacha that Tefillin demands a pure body, like Elisha, the man of wings. What does a pure body mean? It means that you can't pass gas and you also can't sleep in them. Okay, great. So they say, wait, now that we're talking about the person who taught us this halacha, Elisha the man of wings, who is he? So they say, who is Elisha the man of wings? So the Gemara teaches, because the state once proclaimed a decree against Israel that whoever donned tefillin should have his brains pierced through, yet Elisha, this great martyr, he put his tefillin on anyways. And he said, I'm not going to listen to the Roman edict and I'm going to go into the streets. And a questioner saw him and he fled. And this Roman legionnaire pursued him. And as the Roman legionnaire is about to overcome Elisha, Baal Kanfayim, Elisha, the man of wings, he takes his tefillin off into his hands. So the Roman says, show me what's in your hands. And what ends up happening, Elisha opens his hands and what came out were, was a dove. A dove flew out of his hands. Trippy, nice, interesting. What does it mean? What's going on here? So, so then the Gemara continues, why did, he tell him, why, did he, why did he tell him the wings of a dove rather than the wings of other birds? So why is this miracle happening that when he hides his tefillin from the Roman and he opens his hands, a dove flies out? And it says, because the congregation of Israel is likened to a dove. As it says, as the wings of a dove covered with silver with her poignants of yellow gold. Beautiful. The dove is, is, lap, is wrapped in silver and gold. So too, Klal Yisrael, Knesset Yisrael are wrapped in glory. And also, just as a dove is protected by its wings... So too, the Israelites are protected by their mitzvot. So just like a bird, a dove, a yonah, is able to stretch out and protect those around it, so too, what defends the Jewish people? The mitzvot. The mitzvot are what defend Am Yisrael. But Rav Kluger takes it one step deeper inside. And he says, okay, so how do we avoid finitude? How are we able to stop hurting? We're able to stop hurting to tap into our true selves through Torah. And that's through Hashem, who's guided over us. And it's through the tefillin. The tefillin inside our Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. It says that fundamentally we're realizing that even though it looks like there's me and there's you and there's us and there's this and there's that, there's just one. There's just Hashem. There's just infinity. There's just infinity in this world also. And it's through that consciousness and that recognition through tapping into Torah, we're able to be shielded from the sun, which represents finitude, which represents this world. But we're still left with the longing. Because the second we tap into infinitude, 
We're saying that now that I've realized the essentiality of who I am, I want to reconnect with the spring. Even though the sun's not hurting me anymore, I want to be unified with my source. I want to come to who I really am. And that's a tension that we have to live with. And Rav Kluger says something amazing. He says, that's why we put on tefillin. Does anyone know the earliest time you could put on tefillin? Nice. When the sun comes out. Because he says, us putting on tefillin is fighting the notion of finitude. It's saying you want the sun to come out and you want to tell me that I'm not connected to the upper worlds, that there's nothing special about me, that I don't have a chelik of kav mal, that I essentially am not in the shama. I put on my tefillin. And I say, really fundamentally who I am is not this finite world. There's infinity that's contained within me. And he says that's the idea of the heart being able to be connected and, and protected by the bird. And this bird is protecting it, but the longing still remains. And now we're going to look at Rav Cook. So the reason that this is Rabbi Nachman's story, and it's very, very powerful, and I think that he's right in terms of conveying through stories, because it's such a subtle moment that all of us have deep yearnings for Hashem, for Kedusha. It doesn't just have to be for Hashem. I think anything in our lives, anytime we experience lightness and closeness, like the opposite of heaviness, where we feel light, where we feel valued, where we feel like we're close, where we feel like we're connecting, I think that's a moment of dvikut, of connection, of connecting to God. Rabbi Nachman, on this week's Parsha, since it's Lechacha, he says that Eretz Yisrael can be broken into the words Ani Rotze. Rav Judah Mishal, who I was at last night, who Rav Kluger is Rav Judah's Rebbe, he said that while Eretz Yisrael represents the physical Eretz Yisrael, it also represents any time that we're close, any time that we're connected. And Rabbi Nachman teaches that Eretz Yisrael stands for Ani Rotzeh. Eretz is Ani Rotzeh. What is it that I want? Ani Rotzeh Yisrael. I want Yisrael, which means Yashar El. I want to be close to God. Anytime we encounter a moment of wanting, to, of closeness, of desire, that's what it means to be connected. That's the heart yearning to come back to the spring. That's a moment of saying that I'm infinite and I want to be connected with my source. And Rav Kook who is one of the most sensitive thinkers and one of the most prolific writers, really, really speaks about this. Rav Kook, this is a song from Rav Kook. If we turn the page to kind of over here on top of Lekut Maran, this is from Shmona Kvatsim. Rav Kook, in the early 1900s, he, he, he basically became the chief rabbi of Yaffa, which was a secular city in 1906, after learning in the preeminent Velazhin Yeshiva under the Nitziv, Rav Natali Tzvi Berlin, and Rav Chaim of Velazhin, two esteemed Gonim disciples of the Vilna Gon. And Rav Kook, in his time in Yaffa, was writing a bunch of booklets, and then they were later published in 1920 under Arot. Arot was modified by his son, Rav Tzvi Yehuda, and Shmona Kvatsim is Rav Kook's work untouched, unfettered. So there are eight kvatsim. A kovetz is like a notebook. There are eight, eight of these kvatsim. So I somehow stumbled upon this in the middle of social foundations at like 9.35 in the morning. I was freaking out. And I was like, this is the heart in the spring. And we'll see. This is one of Rav Cook's songs. So it's from Shimon kvatsim from the third kovetz, from the third notebook. And the words of Rav Cook are beautiful. I'll try to explain. Rav Cook says, marchavim, marchavim. He says, boundaries, boundaries. A mirchav is like a border. It's, it's, it's a constraint. It's a restriction. So he's saying... Restrictions, restrictions. Merchavi elotonafshi. Boundaries, constrictions, restrictions that are restricting my soul. Al tas rogeni bishum kaluv. Don't confine me with any of your prisons. Logashmi veloruchni. Not with physical constraints, not with spiritual constraints. Spiritually, he's saying, I want to know the depths. I want, like in the, in the words of Yishai Ribo, Ladat kol sodecha. I want to be able to know all of your secrets. That's what, that, the song of Yishai Ribo, of Nafshi, Nafshi is, is, is an expression of this yearning. It's literally, it's literally this. He says, Nafshi chamda He's saying, I'm, I'm in your canopy. It's like the bird being covered. And he says, 
I want to know all of your secrets. He's saying, I don't want to have any boundaries, no finitude. So Rav Kook's saying the same thing. And he says, I want my soul to just expand to the endless expansive of heaven. I'm not, you know, I'm not good with just being able to limit to my heart. I'm not being able to limiting my, my being to actions, musar, to logic, hegyon, reason, nimus, pleasantness. He says, Any pleasure of this world, any finite experience, I'm above that. I just want my soul to fly. I just want to be able to fly. I just want to be able to just be able to shatter all boundaries. Um, Anything that can be defined or named. Anything that can be on, that can be, can, can be said. And that's what speech is. Speech is, is taking infinity and bringing it into finitude. It's, it's categorizing it. It's defining it. And Rav Cook says, I want to be beyond anything that can even be spoken or articulated. I want to just be beyond all of that. Mimrom mikol oneg, beyond joy, mikol noam v'yofi. Anything that we can articulate, I want to just be beyond it. Mimrom l'kol niskavatzil. I want to be in the complete upper worlds. And he says, cholat ahavat ani. He says, Hashem, I'm just completely filled with love for you to the point that I'm not satisfied with any of these boundaries. I think that this is exactly, this is the phenomenon that Rabbi Nachman is talking about. It's this phenomenon on the one hand of being infinite, but also being trapped in finitude. And it's this struggle of constantly wanting and yearning to go beyond, but having to reconcile and realizing with being in this world. And I was saying an essay that I read, it's, it was actually comparing the two. It said, <laughs> This idea of nullification, of wanting to just be completely engulfed and included in, in, within Ein Sof, they're saying they were contrasting the two of their writings and how both of them have this yearning. And this is really Rav Kook's conception of tefillah. In, in Rav Kook's conception of tefillah, it's all about Ratzon. It's all about aligning our will with God's will. It's all about reorienting ourselves and saying that I'm a part of God and I want to want what God wants. I want to be connected to God. And this is the movement of tefillah of saying, I want to be included within you. And then hopefully tefillah should bring you into Misa and to actually realizing I'm in this world and I can channel divinity in this world. So I think that, I think that it's very cool that these tzaddikim are very open with their experiences and they're open about their struggle of living in this world, but at the same time wanting to be beyond it. And I think that is something that we all struggle with. And I think that that's the task of Avram. That's the task where we're saying, You who's Avram, whose father above that keter, high, lofty, mighty, be able to bring it into physicality. And I think that's, that's our struggle and that's our tension. Being able on the one hand to realize and not lose sight, like Rabbi Nachman says, if the heart wouldn't look at the spring for one section, it would die. And not only that, the entire world would die. Because if we think that we exist independently, not connected to God, we're kidding ourselves. The entire world would disappear. But it's also realizing that we can't quite touch infinity. Because if we touch infinity, there would be no finitude. So give us the bracha that we'll be able to bring infinity into finitude. And to live with this struggle, contradiction. Chaim.